Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast. This is episode 107. Um, we were supposed to have Ronald Wallace uh, once again. He had to cancel on us last minute. He is currently stuck in his field. Uh, I did talk to him. Um, he just uh, cannot get to his computer anytime soon. So um, there's a chance he might join us later, but uh, I think he's probably not going to be able to join us. We did reach out to a couple other people. We'll see if anybody pops on later. If not, um, yeah, we're, we're going to take some more guest topics this week and go over some other stuff. So this week we have um, Marty. Hello. We got Roger. Yeah, and Marty's one of the original two. It was him and Steve that started this show. So I always like to bring that up to people because Marty's not always here at the start of the show. And it's great to have the two founders of this sh great show on tonight. And uh, we're going to shoot the shit. And I am telling you, it's some of the best shows we've had, even though we've had some of the greatest guests at times. Some of the best shows I've been on is when we didn't have a guest. So you guys are in for some information tonight. And a little crazy, too. So look forward to the next couple hours. Thanks. Yeah, especially if you guys got questions out there. We got, we got Josh from Dutch Blooms over there. We got some questions and topics, too, in the chat from earlier. Um, asked him when we found out. Then we got Josh. And Josh has got some announcements, too, uh, as well. Hello. I'm cooking, cooking with Carolina Reapers as we speak. So in, in about a half hour here, I might get a little heated. <laughs> so uh what have you been uh scheming josh well the conference stuff is is what's been going on um we've talked about it a little bit um recently this last week we got uh kevin jodry on board um he is uh in humboldt redway garberville actually california um he's a nurseryman and he's been um doing such for a very long time. And uh, yeah, if you guys don't know in, about Kevin Jodry, uh, Wonderland Nursery, look him up on IG or YouTube. He knows more about cannabis genetics kind of as a whole um, than anybody I've talked to personally. He, it's just, he's a wealth of, of information. He's helped a lot of breeders hold uh, really important genetics, you know, over time. He's put genetics out through the population. I think he had a, a a strong hand in getting CBD out. Um, you know, he, he has a lot of stuff put out online, you know, where he talks about it. And so you can just like go down the Kevin Jodry um, rabbit hole and it's, it's amazing. So he's on board and we're going to make Sunday basically a genetic day. So it'll be kind of Friday. We've, we put a posted a schedule, kind of a tentative schedule and Friday is going to be the, the, the foreground for the, the soil food web. Um, we're going to start with, Layton and Dr. Elaine Ingham talking about all the, you know, microorganisms and all the players that are going on in there. Um, then we're going to go into Chip Osborne. He talks about soil um, structure and soil chemistry and um, how it, it's actually working on a, on a chemistry level. And then Steve, we're going to have you go on Friday as well and hit into the aquaponics um, aquatic ecosystem guys down there and, and talk about, um, energy saving techniques and uh, sustainability in, de in design. And then Saturday, we're going to kind of flip the switch and go into like tools. So it'll be Chris Trump, we, we, we can have, uh, Dr. Faust, uh, BioAg, and he's a humic acid. We've had him on here before, humic acid and fulvic acid. Um, 
and he's he's coming out with some exciting stuff too that he's going to talk about at all the events. So, and then Suzanne Wainwright, uh, have we had we had her on here, right? I don't no, I don't. We still need to get her on. We haven't had her on, but she she's going to do a long session um, on Saturday afternoon, and she's all about the IPM beneficial insects. And, and then we're going to roll into Josh and Kelly from Dragonfly Earth Medicine and talk about how they, you know, use probiotics in their um, farming practices and in their products they make. And, and we'll do a, a Dempure Dragonfly Earth Medicine uh, farmers panel. So they have a, the Dempure certification where they are pure uh, certified farmers, peer reviewed and certified. So we'll have a panel of, of, you know, four or five farmers from that region um, in the in the area where we're doing the conference that will come out and talk about how they run their farms, you know, in the scenario that they're in. So that'll be really cool. And then Sunday, flip the switch to genetics. And so Kevin will kind of open up with, um, you know, how he sees genetics uh, playing a role in what we're doing and, and how we're moving forward. You know, it's, it's we're, we're, we're kind of, we've definitely hit the Y in the road where it's commercials going one way, big, big ag commercial. And then us craft cannabis farmers are going the other road. And so it's really like trying to help genetic wise, how to, how do, where do we go? Where do we see this stuff going in 10 years or 20 years? And how can we find ways to support ourselves? So We'll do that, and uh, then he's going to do a breeders panel. We're going to have a seed swap on Sunday, and we'll have a couple other breeders that will speak. We haven't lined those out yet, but um, if you are a breeder, uh, you know you should reach out to Kevin Jodry. He put out uh, a you know a call to breeders today on Instagram and, and YouTube um, for this event. So it's it's really exciting. And um, yeah, what else? So yeah, we're going to do a raffle. I'm really excited about this. Um, it, the, the idea is to pretty much just bring all the tools that we can to growers. So here's the genetics. Um, here's you know, how everything works. Here's the, the ways you can create your own nutrients off your farm. Um, and here's the, you know, some of the other things that are just practical tools that are expensive to buy. Compost tea brewers, uh, for example. Um, the bio, the Vortex Brewer, I think the 30-gallon one is like 1500 bucks. The 100-gallon one is almost $3,000. Um, we, we can buy the parts for about 1000 So we're going to try to you know, see what the lowest price we can put that together for to get it in people's I, hands. It'll, it'll be something like five, you know, 1500 bucks or 1200 bucks. Like we're not trying to make money. We're just trying to you know, give the tools to people's hands. So we're going to get a cheap compost tea brewer set up a cheap sprayer set up. Um, we're trying to get a hold of Dram and see if they'll hook us up on that. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I guess just, that's kind of the, and, and then a bunch of seeds, a bunch of genetics we're going to have available um, and raffled. And um, on the website, we're going to make, make that stuff available too for people to purchase. Um, just like I said, as a way to, to ease the burden of moving through legalization for craft farmers. Um, and then I, I was thinking, I, I've got a lot of thoughts, but the last little thought on that was to add a seed bank to the website. And uh, curious is to see what you know folks think about that. You know, it's a seed bank that would be specific for um, regenerative organic uh, cannabis seeds. You know, 
in my experience, whenever I've used seeds that are that were bred organically, uh, and I grow them in my organic garden, they perform uh, exponentially better than ones that were bred and non-organically. So, just try to have a seed bank and, and uh, provide a place where people can can gather to source that sort of stuff. So, yeah, awesome. that's that's what's going on with me. That and a bunch of other stuff on my business too. But yeah. I was going to ask you to bring that up and it's funny I wanted to say why don't you tell everybody what you told me today on the phone and then you went right into well on Friday we're going to do it was perfect that was perfect yeah that was great Uh, um, so uh, how's your garden doing it's doing all right, man I've got got hit with some bugs to be honest Um, so I'm about to I pulled down a lot of stuff and just tossed it, um, but I'm going to pull down a little, most of the stuff this weekend. And um, it's rainy. It's it's just like it's been rainy since first week of September here. And then we just you know pop off with a couple of days of sun, so it you know starts that process, um, mold and botrytis process. So I'm pulling down, and um, I'm actually pretty excited because uh, I have a friend who. Unfortunately who is unfortunately going out of business, but she's selling her license and is her and I are working out a deal for me to uh, buy her um, alcohol extraction equipment. So I'm going to be making some uh, distillate, essentially THC distillate that I will use in my um, topicals that I've been making. So, Uh, yeah, that's what I'm very interested in that. That's it's really crazy. I mean, like, it's not something I would ever have gone down or focused on, but like, straight up, I had two stores this week say, we're not bringing on any more flower brands for four months. Um, but tell me about your topicals. Tell me about that distillate. God damn it. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, I'm into it. I'm excited, but it's, it's not the passion of my heart, you know? So, um, I'm excited that it's an opportunity for me to. I think it's great because I've been actually thinking about that, see, because that's something that, you know, well, there's a science out there where you can experiment with a basic science that's already proven. And it's funny now, if I actually decide to try that a little bit, um, because it'd be something I can do more on the QT over here, you know what I mean? And uh, and it'd be kind of uh, interesting having a friend that was in had a business that was doing that, you know? As far as what's well, it's pretty sweet. I don't know how much people have actually got to mess around with it. I, I kind of just in nature have turned my nose up against that sort of thing because I'm just kind of like a purist and I want it like I want to smoke joints, you know, and hash. And that's like water hash. That's it. You know, like that's grow the plant, smoke it, you know. But um, there there's something pretty awesome in terms of managing your health having this like just pure isolate in a syringe that you can, you know, squeeze out a little rice grain here and there throughout the day, you know, when you need it. Um, it's pretty. Yeah. I think that's kind of neat. That's that. I think people will be really into that too. Uh, I know a lot of people that go down that road, but the idea of having the ability to have, uh, now are you going to obtain equipment with this purchase? Yeah, so it's the it's the equipment that I'm obtaining. Um, 
it's, it's basically the equipment to uh, purge off the solvent. Um, and I'm not, I'm not like a super skilled extractor. I'm just figuring this stuff up, but, but it's, it's actually pretty low tech. What do you, what do you going to say, Steve? Um, is it, does there any chiller or anything on it or is it just, uh... yeah, there's chillers. It's a, it's a nice system. Um, it's a, you know, $25,000 setup, you know, it's not like a, the only, down, the only downside to ethanol is that some of the terpenes get broken down by the ethanol, but most of them, you get most of them. Well, and, and so I'm not even worried about that because I'm taking it past that to a, a distillate. So I'll distill it after that. Um, Going to short pass then, it? Or? Yeah, it's, it's a short pass system. Exactly. Well, I think um, the biggest thing about that's great about it more than anything is that you can use it. You're going to be able to use it for medicine. Right, and, and for the topicals, it, it it's really has a, a cool. I actually think that, um, I think that sixty seventy percent of our market will be made out of distillate, and it, then it'll then be um, infused with terpenes for smoking and pens or or what have you, because it's 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 the way to get crude, you know, clean crude, and and work from there. And I'm not saying that that's the answer for health. You know, I, I believe in the entourage effect. But um, I, I think that that's just where the market's going, you know, for, for mass, mass consumption. Well, I wouldn't say it would be something you'd do across the board as a, as a remedy, but it has its place and would be better probably absorbed. Like you said, you do topicals, you know, and I think in that respect, it might be pretty cool, you know. And then I don't just the idea of having to distill it. I'm just wondering, you know, how is there, you know, well, there's. What do you think about the idea of this uh, having an isolate or something, and also uh, and and combining that with the coconut oil? Is that possible? Yeah, totally. So that's the other. You, that's where you start with. So I'm starting with rather than using a hash or a rosin, which does have more impurities into it. It's true, it has terpenes and has more of a the more whole plant um, aspect to it, but it. You know, it just goes in really perfectly with things for things like coconut oil or whether you want to put into an edible because it's so clean. You know, there's no, there's no contaminant in it. It's filtered out. Yeah, so that is, a, again, that's a good thing in the medicine, medical type right. situation. So. And, and right now we're, you know, I just, I'm, I've been really keeping in mind that right now we're really in the beginning of this. You know, like right now we're just distilling and isolating THC and CBD and then like putting those together in these, you know, these ratios, but that's so basic, you know, it, it, in time, once we can study this, we'll be able to say, you know, uh, Bubba Kush has this effect and it's because of this terpene profile and these cannabinoid profiles, and we're going to extract them and isolate them these ways and put them back together in a pen because it makes more sense for agriculture that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And now you're back again. What I like is the fact that with all the different strains, you have different effects. And so I was always saying it'd be nice with the coconut oil kind of thing where you could have different strains, you know, that had different effects and you make your coconut oil and you, and, and you have every flavor. You know, you have a you have a, a Durban poison, you know, you have a some kind of haze. Uh, you know, uh, Steve's got his favorite. My favorite so far is uh, super lemon haze of the ones I've tried. And uh, it's very, very potent. So, uh, you know, there's all the different aspects of that. But, the, yeah, I, I, you lose some of the organic, I guess, is what you're saying, though, is what you I try to be more organic and earthy. Well, and so some of the unknown. Like, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that we know, 
as humans what what plants need or what bodies need fully at all you know it's there's a, a lot to learn and Good so point. you know we we go wrong in saying it's only npk it's only mpk it's not only mpk it's only thc and cbd no it's not you know <laughs> oh, but I, you know, and I, but I added in some, you know, organically derived terpenes from from oranges and lavender. You know, it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I can feel the benefit, but uh, I just feel like the, there is something to the whole plant. That's why it, it has evolved and existed, and that's why it's legal today, despite how all all of society has fought this fucker, is because it's so powerful in those ratios and that un, you know, and, you know, so. In one hand, why would we fuck with it? But in the other hand, it's kind of a cool tool, you know. So, um, uh, Marty, are you there? I know you always uh, don't always have the most time. Do you want to uh, talk about what you have to? Um, so, I just loaded up some, uh, what is it, Grape Stomper and uh, Gelato Cut. So, I'm pretty excited about that. Um so got them repotted, some uh, EM1 mixed in, <laughs> and um, yeah, threw some more dirt in the worm bins. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I took some out to make a top dress for my dual root zones. So I usually throw some some back in. And, and I've gotten to a point now where I'm just recycling all my soil. So usually when i when i'm pulling pots out i have soil that goes back in um to the worm bin and it's just kind of an exchange so that, that's been kind of nice um to get to a point where i mean it would be better if i had more room and grow more plants and make bigger worm bins but it's nice to get to that point where you're out of balance and just sort of cycling things through so um uh so that's been good it's been cooling off here so i got to turn the ac off that's always nice to just run on fans and not have to pay the extra power so this is always a good time of year to um you know to to do a flower run here going into winter so that'll be good and uh yeah should be should be good put up a new scrog net did a plastic one this time instead of a um instead of a cloth one it's a little more rigid and it was definitely easier to put up and uh i don't know we'll see how it goes <laughs> i cut the other one but I was, you know, obviously you can cut the plastic one too. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, it was definitely easier to lay out. You can see the cloth one there on that picture actually, and the uh, stretches. But um, um, so we'll we'll see how the plastic one does. I got a roll of it, pretty cheap, so I can use it for a couple of runs probably before I have to get some more. But uh. Yeah, the outdoor beds are kind of kind of winding down. Still getting some tomatoes and uh, the elderberries all done, but we got we got quite a bit out of it. Uh, the grapes are all done. Um, yeah, stuff's so just kind of winding down outdoors for the winter time. But uh, gonna bring some indoors. Like I have a black tomato. I think it's a indigo something or other. Anyway, the tomatoes come out black, which is pretty cool. Everybody likes them. They're really good too. They're really sweet, and tasty. So I'll probably bring that one in and uh, <clears throat> put it indoors somewhere. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, other than that, just uh, just techie stuff, fixing Roger screens. 
<laughs> he gave me a I, hint. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, uh, it's been good. Just been uh, plugging away and trying to find time to work in the garden. You still there, Steve? <laughs> yes, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to think of something to ask you, and it didn't come naturally this time. Well, I didn't know. He turned his camera off. I was coughing. coughing. I didn't want to. Oh, that's all right. No problem. Like, um, what about you, Roger? What have you been doing? Um, so continuing to um, do the perimeter fences on, and then uh, like I'm doing little separate paddocks. I'm breaking the place up where I can uh, separate a place for agriculture and a place for the dogs to run around and a space where I can close both of those off so the dogs can run from one end of the property to the other. So uh, I'm also uh, continuing to clear it back up and get my greenhouse going again. And it's a tedious process, but I always, I can't wait till I'm sitting there hosing off the, uh, you know, the flooring in there and, and saying, oh, yeah, now it's time to, you know, clean up the all the plumbing and see what, what I got to replace and, you know, what what's all stopped up from the last season I ran the system. And I'm really looking forward to that this year. I, I'm waiting for it to get cool. It's still 90 degrees or almost 90 degrees here in the daytime. Uh, this late in the year is kind of weird. It usually would be about 80 maybe uh here this time of year and 65 to 70 at night which is my like my favorite fall i less love fall you know so and, and it, 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 what it is for me is i can get a lot of work out 90 to 100 degrees and uh so i'm looking for getting everything dies off so the it's half the work to clear stuff and i'm i found a tractor guy today that's going to come over and give me a real good deal can come at hourly wage, you know, an hourly rental of his tractor and him operating it. And uh, I'm sure he's a hardworking guy because of the price he's given. He's got a nice looking tractor and that's going to help me clean up a lot of mess that I haven't been able to deal with um, without the necessary equipment. So we're here. I got a possible investor coming in and uh, that's all I can say about that at this point because it's not happened. And, and he actually invested in another business. And so, but he really wants to get into this business. So uh, it could be very interesting. And um, other than that, not a whole lot. I, oh, I got something. I, for you guys out there, we talk about coconut oil. I got my sous vide tank today. Came in. You're not going to believe this. I ordered this for $37.97 on Amazon with Amazon Prime yesterday. Yesterday, and it got here today. And I also ordered a, a nice sous vide. It's got 20 bags, two different sizes with clips and a little pump and all. I ordered that for about eight bucks. That both I ordered that yesterday. They both came in the same box. So I got the I got the sous vide tank. Let me see. I'll do you. I got the sous vide tank. Instead of having a hard cover, it's an open tank. This will hold. This, I believe, it'll hold maybe five quarts jars in it. I made sure it was tall enough for a quart jar. 
and I got the plastic balls. So these will float on the top of the water and keep the evaporation from happening. And they use this in aquaponics and they use it at chemical plants to keep impurities and stuff and to keep the temperature more stable. So I decided to go this route and it came with a bag that you put them in and wash them. You probably throw these washer. I haven't confirmed that, but I'm pretty sure you can take this and put these balls in them. <laughs> put all your balls in this bag. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that's a, that's that's what you need. And then you oh, have a sous vide right. that clips to this. And that's how you we you make your coconut oil. So I'm real happy to have that because it, it'll be my first uh, time to. I'm also going to use it to cook. That's why I bought the bags more than anything was because I want to try it out. I'm I'm not sold that I want to do that all the time to cook, but I'd like to try it because evidently it makes some really good food. You can some great cooking consistency. So that's my contribution to a little bit of knowledge about what we're talking about. There's a sous vide tank with a floating floating poly. Oh, and it's 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 BPA. It's safe. BPA, right, Steve? BPA. I don't know. They're finding some of the other stuff is just as bad now, so who fucking knows? Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that's bullshit, though, is, like, they don't even measure leach rate in the United States. Like, it's just fucking dumb. Like, in Europe, they measure leach rate, so. <clears throat> so, anyway, that's what I've been up to. I'm, I'm you know, just basically taking care of the... Um, the farm and trying to you know get things cleaned up and i'm really looking forward to it. it's been a mess for a while but i'm starting to feel better and uh a lot better and i, I can see myself having a real productive winter and a great holidays with my family and that's what i've been doing uh i got some grows going but allegedly you know but i uh maybe i don't maybe it's a friend's maybe it's not you know, but uh, all those hot peppers, right? You're growing, yeah. Well, CBD only, right? CBD only. That's right. Well, see, that's the thing. We, you know, we're all over the all over the country, and on and, and all our neighbors have hemp production allowed now. And I'm not sure. Somebody said they did, but I I haven't really. Well, I know that they're in the idea of it, but they want to live limit hemp production to ten to twenty farms in South Carolina, from what I heard. Now, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to be. And I've yet to, that's something I really want to check into, because after talking with our guest, uh, Greg, uh, a couple, three or four weeks ago, uh, in North Carolina, uh, where everybody got excited about that, I mean, I really, I'm almost like Steve. I, I'm ready to like find a buyer for my place and moved to North Carolina. But the thing is, is what he, the one thing that holds me back is that the other, the one thing that I got thing we heard about his business and where he's going and, and, and the quality is that he's an indoor grower. You know, uh, he said, you know, he's not a outdoor farmer of hemp. He's an indoor farmer of hemp, you know, so that's real important. That was real important to know because that's not cheap to build for all you people out there go, Oh yeah, we saw that show. Yeah. We were thinking about moving there too. Well, there was a big, he made a big um, statement about the health of the 
of the hemp plant um, in that outdoor uh, environment there, that there was mold and there was other things that, you know, you lessened your crop and your quality. You just have so, to find the right phenotypes that are like that climate. It's like Jamaica. Like you wouldn't grow stuff from like Oregon and Jamaica. You grow tropical strains that are, you know, resistant to the stuff that's there. Right. So maybe in the mountains of North Carolina, Oregon stuff would be good. Need to hybridize with some of the Caribbean genetics to make them more uh, tropical resistant. I think it really highlights, you know, like why, you know, there's there's a difference between indoor and outdoor growing. I think that you, you know, like a lot of people think they're like, oh, I've done this or I've done that. You know, like <clears throat> when I when I went from growing outdoors to indoors, you know, there's just different things that you have to deal with. And uh, um, you really, at least I take a very different approach to it. Maybe not necessarily like obviously there's a lot of similarities, but, um, you know, the methods that you use for. IPM are different, you know, like just to give you a basic example, you know, I, I don't generally um, release a whole lot of predator bugs outside in my normal environment. You know, I usually use them more, a lot more, like 10 times more in my indoor garden because there's no, there's no real infrastructure for those predator bugs to live and then come to my plants and hunt uh, for other bugs. So there's no, there, there's no piece of my indoor garden that allows them to do that. Now I have been researching banker plants, which I think is a, um, an interesting concept where you keep certain plants in your garden that can host beneficial bugs and allow them to reproduce. And you keep them in your garden over time so that you'll always have a healthy population of them. But uh, it's just one example of that indoor versus outdoor um you know a different a different knowledge base that you have to build up you know like just um you know understanding mold mildew caterpillars is another big one that you deal with outside that you don't deal with as much inside because you have such a you know mechanical separation um from it but they're they're really hard to avoid outside and there's steps you have to you know you can take early in the season um and and throughout the season to help control those but it's one of those, another one that I see a lot of people going when they go from indoors to outdoors that they don't account for because they never really had to worry about it as much on an indoor garden. And in mold. On the plants that you plant that you would have to that would host those uh, indoors that would host those. Uh, you said in, you were still on indoors when you were talking about you would have plants you plant to host the predators. Yeah, so, yeah, we call them banker plants. And yeah, banker plants, yeah. Right, so you're, you know, I guess the idea is being that you're you're banking uh, beneficial bugs. Um, but what type of plants are you plants? That's what I'm asking, I'm sorry. So the, only the couple, um, the only couple that I read, um, I think one was rose bushes, and the other one was like a, some type of fern. Purple flash peppers. Purple flash peppers? Yes. I don't think that was peppers. What you got? Most, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, um, pirate bugs, pirate beetles, or yeah. aureus. So aureuses, aureus insidious, and some of the other ones. They're some of your best predator bugs. But yeah. remember, a lot of your predator bugs actually will fall back and, and feed on pollen 
when they don't find enough insects. So instead of them dying off, they'll actually go back and feed on the pollen on the purple flash peppers um, specifically. Um, but there's other ones like you're talking about for other types of insects. Um, and then a lot of the beneficial insect stuff, your beneficial insects will survive more if you buy the little pollen sacks as well and, and release them throughout your garden and regularly replacing those. Again, it's a, it's a backup food source. I know uh, uh, green lacewings will also feed on pollen as well as some of the others. Um, and that's actually why it's important. Um, that's one of the things I, I really want to get Susan Wainwright Evans on this show. She's fucking awesome. And I learned so much listening to her speak and she's going to be at the conference that um, Josh is putting on. And um, I really hope to get her on the show. We've just had a bad luck with scheduling. So um, definitely. Uh, pest management better than she does. She's used to working with most of her clients have over a hundred acres of, of plants, um, you know, outside of the cannabis industry. So, uh, and their margins are, are razor thin. You know, the poinsettias or what, what was it, Josh? I think it was like two to three cents per plant for poinsettias or something. Yeah, I think it's a little more than that. It's like twenty cents, but twenty you know. cents. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys, they're only doing stuff that works and is brutally cheap. And you know, that cannabis industry can kind of learn from that pool of knowledge and do things much, much more uh, organically at the same time. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Marty. No, that was awesome because, yeah, we got, we got a little bit of that extra scientific insight there. That was, I don't, I think Marty was happy to break. The biggest one I would say to use outdoors, the two I would use outdoors are the predatory mites, if you see any spider mites. And, or, or um, russet mites or uh, round mites, um, especially in California, because the plants get really large. Really, you know, beneficial mites do work well because you can just put them right in the plant and allow them to spawn into the plant. Um, but the other one is on the nematodes. The beneficial nematodes will make a night and day difference in making sure that any insects that crawl across the ground to get to your plant stock don't make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah Thing you about people don't understand what predators like you were saying they you they use the pollen of the flash pepper plant for backup see one of the things some of y'all don't understand either and especially outside or in a, a greenhouse if you run out of insects like steve touched on briefly if you run out of insects for the predators to eat and they're all gone and eradicated they go away or they go somewhere else you know, an indoor environment, that when Marty was saying, uh, I reason that you mostly use them, Marty, indoors, because they're, they're, they're in an enclosed area where you've got this problem because you've got organic and the worms and all. So I'm sure you've got pests that you need to deal with at times. So uh, what do you, is, that, is, that why, is that the large part of your reasoning behind that? Yeah, I was saying I use them about 10 times as much. I think that's probably, I definitely still use them outside but not yeah. really as much. And um, definitely when I do use them, I try to use, like Steve was talking about, uh, predator mites. You know, there's a number of different species. Usually you can buy like three of them together, especially if you have any type of local shop, they'll help you out. Um, or if you go to a place like Ar Arbico, um, they have like a <clears throat> really elaborate website that you can go through and pick essentially what kind of uh, pest you have and it will, recommend different ones for you um so there, there's definitely a number of those 
Um, and the other one that I would recommend using outside that we didn't touch on yet is a parasitic wasp for caterpillars. Um, right. That's definitely one that you um, that you can release outside and and have success with, um, especially if you're you have an infestation with existing eggs. Um, it's right. probably one of the best things that you can use um, uh, early in the season to really help control that as well. <clears throat> so those would be examples of ones that I would use outside. But I think the main difference being indoors, it's like a primary control, especially if you're in flower. Um, you're limited on the amount of sprays that you can use um, to pretty much none. I mean, there are some that you can use like enzyme-based sprays. Um, and a, a lot of people use you know, various things up until, uh, you know, bud set is really about as late as I like to use them, but um, you're, you're limited. And however, on whatever scale you want to be limited, I guess, for spraying in flower, because you don't want it to absorb into the bud, like oil-based sprays, for instance, I, I definitely wouldn't use after bud set. Um, anything that's essential oil-based. Uh, so, I think that because of those limitations, I end up using beneficial bugs indoors way more than I do outdoors. Not that I don't use them or that they aren't effective or like Steve talked about beneficial nematodes, you can water those right into your soil and you know that they're not just going to fly away. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, even like green lace wings can be effective on a, on a place that you know you have bugs because you can physically place the card or the pouch or even just the bugs themselves if you get live larvae um, you can place them right where your infestation is and they're they're just going to start eating they're not going to go somewhere else to find food if there's food right there yeah so yeah again it's so the whole point is that when they go outside you got they're eating the caterpillars now you said it controls them so do you ever come to the point outdoors with the predator wasp where um I, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask about the predator wasp again. No, that, they, that they eradicate the caterpillars or just control them at two sides? Well, I've never seen them completely go away, and I release oh, okay. predator wasps every year. Now, I do um, because I also, you know, treat the cannabis plants themselves. I don't get a lot of them on my cannabis plants outdoor when I still could still grow outdoors. I can't anymore, so I don't get any. But um, when I could still grow outdoors, you know, um, you know, if I did get any at all, it would be on like one bud, for instance. Um, and um, generally, when we treated them with uh, BT, I forget what the particular strain is, but um, when we treated them early in season with BT, maybe Steve can chime in. I'm sure he knows what the name is. And like Monterey BT. Bactillus uh, thuringiositis israelius. <laughs> yeah, what he said. <laughs> so, um, so between treating them with that and also uh, releasing parasitic wasps, um, you can also um, find other egg-based parasites for like white flies, and they have some specific ones that will, um, for different types of caterpillars, we should probably talk about that a little bit too, there's slightly different um, uh what is it species or they're all in the same family right then then jarius what is Thuringiensis. it yeah there's a couple i think there's three different commercially viable three or four different versions 
Israeliensis, uh, um, I don't remember the other three right now. So depending on what kind of caterpillar you're dealing with, like whether it's from a moth, right. a butterfly, uh, you know, a great horn worm, you know, like they all have um, different uh, ones that will infect them and they will actually, some of them, instead of infecting the egg, they infect the caterpillar itself and it sort of uh, uses, <clears throat> lays its eggs in the caterpillar and it crawls around basically feeding the eggs until the eggs hatch and it kills the caterpillar and eats it. The other, the other good one too, um, you can't use it for commercial, but it's completely safe to use and you can use it for home. Uh, a home application or personal grow is uh, Micatrol O. Uh, it's also sold under the name uh, Naturalis, I think is the other name it's sold under. And it's um, uh, Bassania bavaria, which is a uh, predatory fungus that infects the respiratory system of insects. Uh, and it works extremely well against caterpillars and a wide range of other insects, about 250 different insects. But um, you cannot use it uh, because it basically causes your total spore, uh, uh, how's it called, total uh, spore count uh, for your, your leaf tissue samples when you get a sample in California. So some states allow it, some states don't. Uh, it's perfectly safe to use if you're at home. Make I, think, I think California just backed off this week, wasn't it? For, for yeah. They're they're down to just uh, salmonella and E. coli. Um, Kevin was posting about it. I didn't follow through on the you know to check it out, but that's how it started with most states, and then they backed off to to just the you know salmonella and E. coli stuff. I was going to ask because does anybody uh, use um, OG BioWar at all? No, I've heard different things. Why? It's it's basically it has of all those in there has you know the uh, thuringiositis Israeli yes it's and the uh, the other one you just you you mentioned it has that it just has a bunch of strains yeah. of stuff yeah it has both of those in the same product is it all I I believe so um, oh. it's got a ton of stuff in it and and uh, right but I, I, I use it on one run. When you start mixing, especially microbials, and you don't apply them separately, a lot of them start just killing each other. And especially when you mix fungal spores and anything else, that's like very not a good idea. Like I wouldn't use it. I'm gonna look at it now and, uh, and tell you, but you gotta be careful because a lot of them you just negate the what you're putting on, you know, the day before. No, I didn't have any problem with the product. Actually, I grew a, a beautiful crop with it um, probably in a year and a half, two years ago. Um, the only, you know, you know, the reason I don't, I don't use it right now is because I'd rather work with indigenous uh, microorganisms than lab grown. Um, so that's my only thing. But I think I, I, I result wise, it was great. I'll see a list of the microbes on our site here. There's like, they have like three different more packs. There's like a new pack, a root pack, and a foliar pack. But I think I was actually using the foliar pack as a root drench because it had the Israeli, I, I might be misremembering, but it was, I think it had the Israeli ensis in there. And I was wanting that for root aphids. Does that sound about right? I have to find a list of what's actually in here on our site. 
because they don't have it on their website. All right. I mean, I've had some friends that liked it a lot. I had a friend of mine, Tim Cali, that used it. And, uh, oh, no, never mind. That was a different company. Never mind. I'm confusing them with somebody else. I apologize. No, that's cool. Or I speak kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't see it anywhere here on their, their website. Oh, their MSDS might have it. Ooh. Sorry about that. You're not supposed to do that too. You can give yourself an aneurysm. Are you growing any plants outside this year, Steve? You just moved, so potentially not. Not now, no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. Didn't you have some outside? Well, allegedly. I just, uh, uh, yeah, but Eric, Eric Ken's house is growing on now, so it's all gravy. Um, to find. I don't see it anywhere here on their website. It's not on the MSDS. I don't see anywhere where it has the microbes. I'll look into that maybe for next week. Yeah, just curious. I mean, yeah. Oh, and somebody well, asked in chat about thrips. So well, I already I already talked to him in chat, but I just wanted to throw it out right. there in case other people were. Yeah, thrips. Um, I personally need so they like to lay eggs in the soil zone so if you throw nematodes in and then you put in like some of the um, uh, persimmons persimilis is one of the radio lay laps and what was the other one stradio lay laps the, the the root drilling mite. yeah that one yeah and then I was also gonna well just to kind of loop back to it um, the as far as the big the big bad guys like russet mites um yeah for similis for russet mites and or sony for spider mites generally if you can control the climate then you could look at the triple threat with the californicus and whatnot but for similis is what i've had the best success with and and been you know pushed towards with by suzanne and then cucumeris for the broad mites yeah, I think it's definitely you know worth noting too that all of those different ones usually do um, better in different humidities. So you uh, you don't want to buy a whole bunch of bugs and then release them into an environment so they'll kill them all off relatively quickly. So you also you know definitely check into all those different species. But when you when you decide to purchase one, just make sure you reset the humidity in your room. Um, to be within their range before you release all of them, or else you'll just be slow, you know slowly killing them off and you know kind of kind of wasting your money. They'll definitely eat before they die, but not not you won't be nearly as successful with beneficial bugs if you don't at least set up the environment to a place that they'll be happy in for a little while. We're having a very informal show tonight. It's been very informative. This is great. We're really going over the bugs and the beneficials tonight. That's. I wanted to give a shout out to a company that I bought some from. You know, I haven't I haven't 
done this in a while, but a company in Colorado called Hydro Gardens, they also have a very um, um, wide-ranged uh, predator section for, you know, for benef beneficial uh, bug management. So you can check them out, too. You can just Google Hydro Gardens, and you'll probably be able to find it. Um, bought a few things from them. They also... Uh, there, that's how I got started on the uh, spray system too, where I can hook up sprayers instead of drips. You know, it's pretty cool. You can, you know, I've, I'm real curious to see when I start my aquaponics tank, if I, you know, if I can filter it to where it'll spray out of my sprayers onto the soil, on the onto the root zone level. Um, I'd really like to hook that up. It'd be kind of cool um, to see if I could do it that way. Supplement some nitrogen on the top layer. You know, a little bit. Josh, do you want to talk about like the financial benefits to treat, doing it that way instead of sprays? Sorry, I'm in the middle of weighing out some oil right now. I can't <laughs> <laughs> Extremely informal <laughs> tonight. Um, this is a legal legal cannabis app, you guys. It can't be messed with. Not while he's pouring. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> we had another question in chat. Um, hold on. Yeah. We had a bunch earlier. Um, someone talked, asked about closed loop fertilizing. Um, I think a lot of us do, I guess, something similar where we take a lot of our plant waste and compost it or ferment it or otherwise put most of those nutrients back into the system and rather than just, you know, not, you know, those nutrients eventually generally get back in. Um, I guess that, and then we also, I raise insects. Um, you know, we have black soldier flies, worms. Um, I'm a big fan of roaches, um, black, um, instant cockroaches and dubia roaches. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that helps you as far as rounding out your inputs. Um, what's the other one? You talk about different strains and how they grow and how hard the levels or how they, okay. Talk about different strains, how they grow, are they hard to grow levels of the CBD acid? acid? I'm not sure. E-C-C-E-T? -E I'm not sure. I guess it just means CBD. Uh, what CBD strains are you guys growing, if any? I was growing lion's quibbit. Um, I don't know where that, I don't know the history on it. I got it from uh, Lady Sativa. And um, I had Green Crack CBD and one more. Oh, Orange Harley Sue. I'm really excited about the Orange Harley Sue, and it smells so good right now. Um, I'm going to harvest it tomorrow. So I, I think I found my keeper, Fino, there. I'm pretty excited. Hmm. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah it's Callio and, and Harley Sue. Interesting. Uh, I've grown um, Shirley Temple. And I've grown Sour Tsunami. Um, I grew a Sour Tsunami that was crossed with ACDC. That was probably one of my favorites. Uh, Harlequin. Uh, Harlequin Shirley Temple. Um, and then just regular ACDC 
That's the one. What's, what's the Shirley Temple? Shirley Temple is Wu Four, Afghan yeah. One, and a hash plant. It's a strain that uh, some friends of mine and I worked on. Nice. I have an ACDC too. I, I used to grow ACDC um, a couple of years ago, but it was such a bitch to grow. I mean, really challenging. And it ends up being um, very much like cookies where it's a bitch to trim. It's like lots of little buds. Yeah, just a just a hard plant to deal with. So, much better, larger buds. I actually threw threw the, the whole thing away because I, I, I grew a room of eight lights with it. And it, shit was not going well. And I ended up like squeezing the whole thing down to like four or eight grams of rosin. It was something ridiculous. And I just ended up giving it to this dude because I was so upset. I was just like, how <laughs> did I just like manage like four grams of rosin out of eight lights? <laughs> and I threw so I threw it away. But then I just got it back uh, like a couple of months ago because I want to breed with it. Um, so my buddy had a, a cut, and he's been doing really well with it. Canna, so I figured it's pretty strong. Something to breed with, I would say Canatonic is much better, especially for your climate. Yeah, I used to. I ran Canatonic too. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested this, in getting that Shirley Temple. Um, Canatonic uh, runs much, um, much more stable in the, in the moldier areas. It doesn't get mold as much. Okay. Well, well, Steve, uh, what do you guys think about if you were going to grow in a place? Now, I, I did want to say something about. I want. Well, my question was, uh, what What do you think? So, if, for for us in the South over here on the East Coast, what kind of strains would that you know of would be probably better for us to try if we got into the hemp production business? I think what was the one they had at the conference? Um, Josh, the guy gave him away. Was so, the lion's quibbit, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, lion's quibbit because it's a it's a, a tropical strain crossed with the CBD, so it's like a Jamaican land race crossed with the CBD. So it'll 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 be much more adapted for your your climate. And those were seeds. Did you realize that? I'm sure those were because I pulled males out. I actually most of mine were males. So lion's quibbit. I had a I had two harmies and then uh, two male three males, and two girls out of that. Nice. Uh, six, six pack. Oh. Yeah, I think I was probably. I ended up with about two females out of the six pack as well. But I had one of them that just it would, just got weird on me, so I called it early. There was, yeah. there was something else I wanted to bring up about though about uh, you know on the East Coast thing. If I could just continue for a second, um, with Quig, I mean Greg, Quig, you got me, <laughs> you got me with Quibbit. All right, with Greg in North Carolina. With him being indoors, and you were saying to do this, the tropical type strains. But the thing is, where he lives, he's actually in the mountains. That's why I brought up earlier that maybe the, or maybe the across of that lion's quibbit and what would be great in Oregon because he's in the mountains in North Carolina and they have a winter, it snows there. So uh, I th I'm not sure what that would do with the environment as far as humidity. And he's, in other words, he's not in a tropical area. Like I'm in a tropical, uh, more of a tropical area in a swamp area. He's in the mountains. He's on the top of a mountain, you know, in North Carolina. He doesn't do. He's in a different, a more Northern zone than I am. Yeah, but you're, you're a mountain is like 3000 feet there. Like, 
Oh yeah, but I'm saying they have a winter. They have a like we bear we can either have a winter or like from hell for a couple of months, but that's it. Maybe three months at the most. Where he's got a winter for anywhere from I would say he might have a winter for five months. So I'm just saying that's all I'm saying. I wanted to bring that into the conversation and make well, you more aware of the that he's not in a Really, a tropical and aquaponic is going to deal with high humidity, and because of his latitude, it's going to get pretty toasty in there, even in the winter. Okay, okay. Well, that's what I was looking for. Feedback on that idea. All right. Yeah, functionally inside that hothouse, it's a tropical environment. But he's got more than a hothouse, doesn't he? He's got he's got climate. Doesn't he have somewhat of a climate-controlled environment? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, because I mean, hot house, like the way I look at it, it is climate controlled, but the best we have for, well, he's not air conditioned. All right, I guess let me cut to the chase. Yeah, as far as you know, is he air conditioning or is he using cool walls? How's he getting his greenhouse cool in the summer? Um, I have no idea. Oh, okay. All right. So that's because that's your see a lot of guys even though it's high humidity, some of their only option is to use a cool wall because they can't afford to close it up for the covering for one thing because covering up a, a greenhouse so so that you could actually control the climate more is going to be exponentially more expensive than doing a dual a, a dual a, a double poly. You know, and 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 trying to use a cool wall, which is basically well, an evaporator cooler, which provides. You have to deal with a lot of hail. Then you're better off doing the hard plastic because the hail will punch through your screen. Do what now? I'm sorry. You said what? Stevie, use um corrugated poly poly panels. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. No, but but corrugated pot about poly twice the cost. Yeah, are three or four times as expensive, maybe five times as expensive as double poly. I understand. Oh, you say, but the hemp no, is so the, strong. If you have a lot of hail, like Colorado and to lesser extent North South Carolina or anywhere in like the plains, you really need to have those panels just on the vertical part so that you don't have hail punching through and hitting your, your lights, hitting your plants, like. You know, or have a shade cloth that can catch them. Yeah, I use an interior. Now, most people put their shade cloth on the top of the poly, but I run my shade cloth and wire it up inside. And it really does a great job of, of allowing the heat to stay. Instead of the heat permeating the whole thing, even though you've got shade cloth up, it really keeps the heat and allows the fans to do their job. But underneath that, pot, that, that shade cloth, it's so much cooler uh, that the plants don't seem to mind it too much. And yeah, that's, uh, there's, there's, okay. I, but I was wondering about, um, that's what I was wondering about him. Cause I, but so maybe I got the wrong impression. I got the impression that he had the way he was talking. It sounded to me like he was, had a, a, a greenhouse that had a hard covering, not a poly covering. And it had a, you know, like he was able to cool it down in the summer, but he also has, you know, it's easy to heat it up pretty much, you know, for the most part. Uh, well, yeah, actually that's a pain in the butt too. Uh, Cause 
I guess they're both equal. But to, to actually do it year round, it's so much more expensive than to just throw poly up and have exhaust fans and such like that. Um, so I, I really need to get in touch with him because uh, that was very interesting to me that he was going indoors though with it. And the reason I thought he had a more climate controlled was also because he mentioned that, um, well, basically a hothouse or a greenhouse is going to have really high humidity, especially in the heat of the summer with the added heat from doing the covering. And that's what I thought he wasn't doing. So I guess I don't, I don't, I, I'm not sure if any of us really understand how he's actually set up. I, I really want to get him back on and, and see if uh, we can clarify that a little bit. Maybe I can go visit him and take my camera. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Sorry. But that was, that was a fun day. So I don't know. What's, what's going on? I've been actually thinking, uh, thinking about um, just to jump in on that. I've been thinking about uh, redesigning my greenhouse. Um, right now, it's designed as a flower production space. But with the market being so difficult um, and there's so much flower, um, like I think I was saying earlier, like I had two retailers this week straight up tell me, like, we're not taking any flower vendors for months. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm thinking of switching it up to be uh, more of a vegetative space. Uh, the whole thing where I can run mother's um and and i'll take clones in my shipping container but then you know store um, rtfs and stuff that's going out and just run it like a nursery um so in that i've been like thinking of how how i'm going to do it and uh, one one thing that i need to do to be able to grow through the winter is i need to provide uh warmth to the root zone so i actually have to dig up the beds and put in some sort of root warming system um and so that's that's the part that I've actually really been giving thought to that and and some sort of like heat wall. Um, typically, folks have, that have done like passive solar systems use like 55 gallon barrels or something like that on the the north wall, and they can you can link them together and you can you can have them passively heated by the sun. Uh, you can also you know put an inline boiler and, and heat that up too to just create a heat wall. Um, I don't really like that idea of using the 55 gallon drum. Um, I've done it in the past, but I, I just uh, want something that's a little more solid. And so I'm just brainstorming and, and like kind of trying to figure out what, how I can do this. Um, well, I'm going to maybe like put, to my, put my back row. I've been thinking of doing the back row as an aquaponic uh, row uh, that I would do uh, dual root zone. So I'd have that big gravel bed that was full of water, you know, and, and could keep a lot of heat in there, you know. But I'm just bringing it up, like, to discussion, see what you guys' thoughts are on, on you know, design. Got Steve thought, has a lot of... Yeah. i got a thought on heating the root zone. See, what I would do from what I do, you know, because of my, my... I've got the same kind of problem here because I always lose my plants between Christmas and the 1st of of January, and I've been wanting for years to figure out something, and and it's so, and I do an entire uh, slab with radiant floor heating built in, and Steve has some really nice designs on passive systems that that you know I believe work very well, but I I when you're talking about you got your beds and you want to keep your root zone and you dug your beds up, what I would do is line my beds with tech foil. Just like right. you would 
under a slab to keep the warmth in there. I would line them all with, and you can buy it in a four foot or like a 40 inch or whatever. It's just common, 100 foot roll, 36 to 40 something inches wide. And you could line your bed with that and then run PEX pipe up and back because and because it it holds the heat in better than like a common poly hose or something invest right. in the pex and build your manifold on the end and put get your big hot water heater and then we'll use your solar power, your solar water for gravity flow for but if you get into a situation where that's not enough you'd have the hot water heater hot water through those lines and you would probably wouldn't have any problem right no so that's i've i've you're totally that's the that's the system right and in a in a you know a expensive dutch house that's what you do you throw a slab down you you throw it first you throw down insulation not just the tech foil but like two inch poly and then the tech foil and then you throw down your grid of um packs and then you lay your slab so my version of that was and this is where the there's dilemma in my or i have you know i'm not set here is I was going to dig up each bed, lay down, one version would be to dig up each bed, lay down the, the poly, just like I said, the two inch foam, um, and then the tech foil, and then the, uh, the whatever, the pecs, and then uh, do gravel or sand, probably sand, you know, three to four inches of sand. So that would be my base, and then a, a wheat barrier, and then I'd put my soil back in. Um, and yeah, that I, sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. Can... Right. But now I'm now I'm growing in an artificial media that is not connected to the earth. Right. And and I'm not so sure how I feel about that. So I, I bring that up to, to I brought that up to Layton and his thought was, you know, he, he agrees that, that, you know, we want those roots to be to have the option should they choose so in the summer and in the, you know, the, the shoulder seasons to have the option to get into the soil. Um, and send tap roots way down there. Um, so his thought was to skip the insulation and the the barrier, um, the tech foil, and just do like a four inch layer of sand. Or um, he said even better yet, do something like a brick that would have some sort of insulating value, but still allow room for the roots to crawl between uh, the cracks. Hmm. Well, the thing about the brick is it p provides a thicker layer because it's brick so that once it was heated up, it could retain heat. But I know from a fact from professional greenhouse people I learned from some of the problems and mistakes they made was that if you don't contain the heat, it's going to go down to China. Right. You know, it's exactly. Go to China. It's not you're going to pay all that money to run that hot water in there. And it's going to leave your environment. So that's the trade-off. Do you want your plants to be healthy and safe all the time? You know, and if you're going to grow different times of the year, you could always have beds. Like, for instance, you might have beds that are insulated, um, but in the, in, and then use those in the winter and have other beds you use in the summer that, that can grow into the ground. If you are so inclined to follow this right. religion that you're following, right, right. but you got to keep in you, mind: Are you trying to keep the plants alive or follow your religion? Well, come on. I mean, yeah, I want. I want to do both. I want to do both. I'm sorry. 
No, no, yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, it's fine. I'm that. fair enough to call me out, but that's the question I'm bringing up. So, like, Leighton is on the side uh, where he thinks that the sand uh, could pr- pr- provide an, enough insulation that you wouldn't be heating China. Um, and I don't know enough science. That's why I'm bringing it up as a question to, you know, like I've, I've from what I've, I've heard what you're saying, Roger, and I've agreed with that. And that's been, but like the more I've grown outside and had plants like actually connected to the earth. And I definitely think there's something there with electricity, you know, and like, um, I actually used to ground my aquaponic beds and my, um, indoor grow beds, um, in the warehouse. I would actually just stick a rod in there and wire it to the ground, uh, plug and, you know, on the wall. But I don't know, Steve, do you have any thoughts on any of this? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. What's your opinion there, Steve? Yeah, you could put, um, you know, troughs underneath all your walkways and you can, you know, always put beds, you know, water beds, um, media beds in for, like you talked about already. Um, you could also run, we, we did this, it didn't work as well. Wait, you're saying just make, just make a trough and a media bed for the walkway that would be heated, right? When you could just hook that up to solar water heaters, or you could also, hey, would you, and also would help you, with- let me let me interject there real quick. Sorry, would you prefer to do think to do something like that versus a PEC system because there's actually more yeah. water in there? You can get these like it's like a two foot wide by oh like three or four inch high bladder like yeah. strips, and you can get those, and you could just use that and recirculate yeah. it through there. Now that's a cool idea. I like that a lot too because that you get a hella surface area out of it. You just have to make sure you plumb it right. But the other thing you could do is just you could run PEX. Um, we did that. The problem was we found the PEX unless we had it like right underneath the gravel at the top of the layer, it wasn't really transferring up much heat. Um, it transfers much better if you're transferring it into water. Um, that's why I put doing it into media beds or into DWC troughs if you're doing vegetables. Uh, works really well. Well, that's what also, you know, if you don't have any geothermal, if you're going to do all the digging, you might as well dig a couple of trenches and put some geothermal in to help in the summertime too. Right. I was going to do that. Um, one idea I had that, that hasn't really worked out for me and it's, it's because I've, I've done it half baked is the idea of running like a a trench, like if, if my whole bed six feet wide, uh, by 90 feet long was a constantly circulating aquaponic system with gravel. And then I build my soil bed on top of that so that the plants would have the choice to go down into the, you know, the system. The problem is that it's, you know, you have to do it constantly flooded, you know, a trickle flood uh, because it's such a long run. Right. Yeah, I got all kinds of ideas. Right. Now. So, about so what I would do is I, w- I would run the line through some solar water heaters and then uh, put glycol on it. Um, this way, if it freezes, it doesn't burst. And then and do it that way. And then either transfer that into the water or just put that directly into the pool, you know, into the floor. And then put some sand and maybe some pavers on top of that. Yeah, see, the idea of the pavers and stuff, that's something else that would work with the PEX pipe, too, as you were saying that, because you were saying about the transfer of heat. So if you just put soil on the PEX pipe, and actually that's because the PEX definitely works in the concrete slab, but we're not pouring concrete slabs. So 
and how can you use the PEX? Because the PEX, it's just that the system is so simple and it does conduct heat a lot better than other hose type well, situations. So but if you use or, or 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 like you said pavers now with pex pipe you would heat up those brick and that mass of that concrete or the brick uh would would uh, would, uh, would definitely I, I can see yeah that's a good conversation there i also want to say your trough idea real quick i've already thought about if you put troughs on each walkway row in between your beds you could actually run plumbing like you could run three two two or four inch uh, PVC between the troughs underneath the root zone, you know, throughout the bed from from trough to trough to trough. Yeah, well, you what know, you do is you run it like an S, like back and forth underneath the beds. That you yeah, beds. yeah, 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 yeah. That, so, that could really work really well. What you can do if you're going to transfer into water is get the um, the gas line for, from Home Depot or Lowe's it has the yellow plastic on it, and you can cut the plastic off. It's like CST. You can run that into your water line, your reservoirs, your 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 fish tanks and shit. Why not just get really crazy and all the make all the walkways like a four foot deep trench or trough? That's, that's kind of what I was referring to the first. Where just full of water, just yep. you know, full of water. So, so yeah. all you have to do then is make sure you have a dehumidifier so that you can pull that humidity back up. Yeah, but or are you, you or you, or you, you cover it up with, or you cover it up things? with gravel? You cover it up with gravel, right? And then you have your your layer, you know, three inches of, of dry gravel to hold all the humidity. Well, it wouldn't really hold the humidity in that well. No, it would it would it would they would heat up though and they would help keep it warm. That the rock on top would help it be it would retain would add more warmth a uh, more uh um, we need Roger's balls. How many of those balls we need, Roger? The <laughs> ball. Well, you wouldn't want to be walking on top of them. You'd want the gravel, I think. No, but you idea. could be. You could be. But, but I wanted to ask Steve about the trough. When you were talking about the trough, because I didn't envision it four feet deep, what were you talking about your depth, recommended depth of that trough? Because I was thinking you probably could do it well. Where the better. The more, water, the more water volume, the more thermal mass. So. Right, I'd say you go down. Talking about bearing as much of your water as possible, right? I mean, to, you know, whether that's through a trough or, you know, getting a, <clears throat> a large uh, sump tank that you can type water through, you know, pretty much as much water as you can get underground as possible is going to give you the most insulation. When I did the, uh, and you guys have seen pictures, people have seen pictures before of this, the build I did. We had a whole pond in the middle of the greenhouse, and we put a platform on it and put ha hatches in the walkway uh, so that we could access the fish underneath. Yeah. And, uh, and the plumbing. Um, right. It was, it was deep enough to where I could stand. It was high enough to where I could stand up, and I'd be like armpit deep in water, but I could still breathe and walk around in there if I needed to underneath the platform. You know what I mean? Like if something like broke or we had an emergency, I could – you know, dive down there and grab whatever I needed and come back up. I can't believe you said that because I got the way my, when, when the guy cleared the land behind my existing greenhouse so I could enlarge it, he, he didn't do a good job. Or he did a terrible job. <laughs> he pushed everything up and out. And I got this like hill going down into a valley. Like a, I got this natural valley. And, and I was actually thinking about making, when I, making a reservoir there for fish, which would be 
at the lowest part of the land, it goes up from both on in both directions, like a, a probably a good 10% grade or so. And, and it goes up and I was thinking about the easiest thing to do would be to put the fish trough down there so I could pump it up and then it could drain back down naturally. And then you say like way back, you're one of your first things you had in the middle of the greenhouse, you had a pond. And I, that's what I envisioned with that land out back of the greenhouse I've got here. So that's interesting that you said that. Did, did it work well doing it that way? Yeah, it gave us the mass we needed to keep the thing warm. Oh yeah, well see, that's a good point too. When you can have a pond, if you can control that humidity, that's the that's the key to uh, getting that humidity. You know, the biggest, the biggest thing is uh, making sure you insulate all your plumbing and all of your um, all of your you know fish tanks and liner uh, so that because if you lose heat there you're gonna need some bitch so making sure you get like uh, cheap options or you can do multiple layers of carpeting you can go get carpeting at any carpet store go to the dumpster in the back and get it for free it's great for underliners for ponds and stuff because it prevents roots or rocks or anything like that from puncturing your liners um, I mean, it will rot over time, but it takes a long time. Most of them are polyester and shit. It's, you know, doesn't break down very quickly. Um, the other, um, the other thing that works good is the flat top roofing. If you can find a flat top roof building, that's being, uh, having the insulation replaced on the roof, uh, you can get those panels and put them, uh, in, uh, as a border all around your greenhouse where it meets the ground that helps insulate the ground underneath your greenhouse. But you can also put that underneath your liners as well, or your IBC totes, uh, to give you a nice, thick, super high R value, you know, completely free insulation. If you're doing a, you know, a home or garden build. That's a good point about heating up the area around the outside of the greenhouse as well. Because by insulating, yeah, that, yeah, um, insulating the give an extra feet that the outer cold isn't on the edge of your greenhouse grow area. It's four feet or several feet outside of the edge of your greenhouse. That's a great point. Well, well what you do is you, you put it in right at the foundation so that, the, you know, the frost line from outside doesn't creep into the greenhouse. Yeah, that's what I was getting to with the depth of the a reservoir could possibly be. It wouldn't have to be any deeper than your freeze line well you want to you want it the more volume the better the, yeah the yeah i got that yeah i really got that okay. is there a, is there anything to do you, do you have any you know x amount of gallons per x amount of cubic feet or is it just like go for as much as you can get go for as much as you can get but um if you get around 75 to 80 percent of the floor space looking down um as water you know at least a foot deep it seems to work pretty well but that's very loose you know that's like a guideline um, we ran to, so, if you, so if you had like a three thousand square foot facility seventy thousand would be twenty one hundred yep. gallons no 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 i'm talking about percentage of the greenhouse if you're looking down from above oh so looking down at the floor square footage we want approximately that much hooked up to your solar water heater bank um, and then there's, I forget what the gallonage works out to. I actually have math worked out for the one greenhouse I did study on. I just have to figure out exactly what this ratio is. And I have the data though. So, um, all right. Well, that's, I'm just, if, am I understanding it correctly? So if I'm at a 3000 square foot greenhouse, 70% is 2,100 square feet. 
Yep. And if I, uh, you know, have that 12 inches deep, uh, that's 7.5 gallons per water of water per cubic foot is 15,750 gallons of water that I could place anywhere, right? Yep. That's not that much. No, I mean it's a lot, but it's it's you know I think the water wall like, on my greenhouse on the water wall on my greenhouse is it's like six hundred foot rolls or not six eight hundred foot rolls something like that. Okay. Not that much. Um, the other, the other thought Humboldt, I had too was you can get it right. not cheap if you're coming down to Humboldt. Just grab a U-Haul and drive out to San Diego. It's just a day's drive <laughs> from Humboldt. Well, day. Day and change. Yeah, it's a bad day. Um, uh, pick it up from Global Plastics and save like however much per roll. Yeah. Drive it back. It'd be cheaper. That's, that's another key for everybody. Yeah, do this. Look around and find industrial, commercial companies that are looking to get rid of things. You know, they, they sell it. They're the ones that sell it. They're, well, Global Plastics. They, they're the main supplier for Raven on the West Coast. They might have a depot up close to you, actually. That is no telling, but that's a, that's good points though. That there's so many things like, uh, you know, you know, go look at uh, a lot of people struggle to find uh, supplies and they pay out the butt down at the farm supply or something, which is a you know it's good to support your local guy, but if you're if you're in, if you start to go into business, you need to look into agricultural supply companies and such, and then. You know, aside from just going to recycle something that you can buy for insulation or somebody that's providing a certain kind of plastic or whatever, you know, look into those commercial, go beyond the local stores or anything that you would just naturally think of. If you do some research on the Internet, you can find much uh, people that you can buy something in bulk and you will pay four or five times as much as you would locally for. 20 or 30 times as much product or, you know, or, you know, whatever, whether repackaging or anything else. And just wanted to throw that out there because Steve touched on that reaching out and looking at those kind of companies, you know, and I was going to ask Roger, do you, in your greenhouse, do you uh, have like piping on the walls to hold heat? No, no, no. I've always grown, more of a conventional farming scale. Believe I got the ideas of and how to uh, run the ventilation and still. I was building a wood, a double barrel wood stove heating system when I got sick and, and, and stopped running the greenhouse. But I've got all the components, the barrels and the uh, and all the the hardware to, to, you know, to be able to have a burn barrel with a radiant heat barrel above it, you know. Right. Yeah. And I, I was going to run that and try and try that. I wanted to do I was going to start doing what we've been talking about. Um, uh, the uh, radiant, some kind of radiant heating in the rootstone area. You know, we touched on that tonight, and you asked about that because I, I see, you know, 
you know, you think about all this stuff and you know all the options because the best option is if you can afford to do the concrete option, you know, but if you're not going to, if you're, if you want to grow through the ground, then that's not really a good option. But in, in the case of doing a, an indoor aquaponics greenhouse that you're not growing in the ground, the slab is without a doubt a radiant floor heated slab with PEX pipe and the yeah, system yeah. in there that keep your, that again, if you're in a place for the winter, you will, that you, you'll just love yourself for that. Um, and, uh, and, and so I guess you guys are, you know, you got your you know thing you're pondering there, but a lot of people are, you know, they just assume to have a grow bed and if they could have a grow bed, uh, a deep grow bed, I mean, that's where, that's what I would do. But again, I, you know, I, I understand what you guys are trying to achieve and your, 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 your partnership with the earth, you know, so it's, it's cool because everybody's going to make their own choices. So I'm glad that we can all discuss the different choices for the different methods and, you know, uh, the, the way we're all going to grow our own way ultimately. And a lot of it has to do where I try to touch on is the, the, the amount of cost it takes to do certain things compared to other things you uh if, but if you want to follow like like uh if you're going to dig out reservoirs to cover most of the floor for water to heat up your greenhouse that's not a lot of water but it's going to cost some money to get that done you know and uh, just there's a lot of people that you know that can't afford that even though you can say well you can't afford not to do it which is kind of true but there's just with the with the level of uh the way thing, you know, I'm always trying to um, teach on the side of people that just don't, they need to grow their own food or their own medicine, but they don't have the money at all or the, the ability to build an infrastructure such as, you know, like you are trying to build or like Steve builds all the time. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, that's just, a, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of money when you're on the business end of it. But when you're, we're teaching a lot of people that are on the homeowner, you know, hobbyist, uh, you know, they want to be serious about it, but they still don't have enough money to have a serious farm. You know, uh, maybe we do get some farmers. I, I'd always love to hear, I wish sometimes we get some more about that on chat of what the people in chat are doing, you know, what they're actually growing or, you know, or. Uh, how many of the guys in chat are growers that are experienced growers that are learning more from the show? Like all of us learn everything. You know, we learn something new every week or is it going to be, or is it all, are we got a lot of new growers that are watching the show? I, I, we never really get into that with the feedback from the, from the chat and all. It might be too. Do we have anybody in, left in chat? Out there? Yeah. I'm just, just curious. Uh, you know, we, maybe we'll throw that out next time. Um, let me see. Look at the time. I mean, not, I'm not in a hurry. We're a couple hours in. I'm, I'm not sure how long all the chat people hang out. Who's the echo? There's the ECSDs in chat, Amadeus, and the Kodogo, Larry Hat. Well, you guys in chat, if you're there listening, how about give us a little response? What kind of system or what size grow do you have? Are are you actually growing aquaponics or, or are you doing any of the methods methods that we discuss here? Uh, how about give us some insight on your experience level, maybe you know, and we can address that with some a segment on that maybe. 
Well, since Bob and the people, we'll do that next time. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on? If not, I guess we'll wrap the show up a little early this week since we had the guest can for the last one. He's going to be on next week, hopefully. Again. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. Can't wait to talk to him about growing large pumpkins. Yeah, I do apologize, everybody. Uh, Ronald Wallace had to cancel on us last minute again, but um, I'll hopefully be able on next week. He got his truck tractor stuck and called me at like six ten and was like, "I can't make it." <laughs> so, yep, he got his cart stuck in the ditch. Yep. Anyway, right. yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We had a fun show tonight. You know, it's always a very informative oh, show. Oh. I promised, and you know, you. I knew I was. You know, I had to write people I could promise on, and you guys did a great job of, of providing people with all kinds of fantastic organic information tonight. All right. Well, we'll catch everybody again next time. Um, be sure to check out uh, Josh. How do they find out about your conference? Uh, the uh, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. All right. Yeah. And uh, we have an Instagram, and you can follow me on on uh, line or on Instagram, uh, Dutch Blooms. Has all the dates and cities on there. Definitely don't want to miss that. Yep, yep. Tickets are for sale um, too. So. Yep. Uh, cheap tickets now before December first. If you can do it, it would uh, save you some cashola and help us make sure that we're uh, going to pay for all this. <laughs> Yep, Josh puts in a ton of hard work. So, and uh, like out of all the conferences I've been to, it's definitely the most informative for sure. And you get a chance to meet a lot of these people you don't get access to ever. So, definitely don't want to miss it. So, how about you, Roger? How do people find you? Well, you can find me uh, teaching over at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. And uh, I, I neglected to mention earlier that I, um, I recently added a, well, they've been bugging me to add a soil category. And I know you might say, well, all forms should have a soil category, but we kind of touched that on it, uh, on that in the indoor and outdoor growing. Uh, but, but, uh, because of the Korean natural farming method and how enamored I am with it, I added a soil category with, of course, building soils, organic soils and Korean natural farming method. And I hope some of you guys out there that are practicing with your lactobacillus and your ferments and trying to do uh, your own version or, or the being strict about adhering to the KNF ideals that you come over and share with us. And I'm going to shamelessly plug our new apparel line. Uh, you can click on my link in the description there at uh, ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. We've got some, it's a, it's a, it's a, late fall going on winter and we got some brand new hoodies and t-shirts for sale. So check it out at the shop at I love growing com, And I'm sure the Robert and them will be happy that I shamelessly, I was shameless tonight. It's all good. Oh yeah, we love it. Support the show. So it, it keeps it all. It keeps the education free. That's what it does. Uh, yeah. And um, you guys can catch me putting products on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, all the different things. Um, yeah, uh, I'll be back with you guys again soon. Trying to get back into the video production once I get moved here into my new space. So, we'll, uh, once that happens, I'm gonna get back on the video production. Try to get some more content out, if not just podcasts. All right, I'll catch you guys again next week. Take care. Y'all have a good night.